0: alaikum everybody, Rahim. Welcome to another amazing session where we're gonna do two short surahs, Surah Al-Fajj and Surah Al-Layl. Um, the short surahs are absolutely incredible, as you know. It's so exciting to go through them again. And um, then we just sort of put off a little bit doing Surah Al-Ma'edah, which is the last really heavy surah, um, which we got a little flavor of from the khutbah yesterday, which was incredible, the idea of um, the Muslim feast and you know sometimes I do a little tongue-in-cheek humor with myself and I was thinking well maybe I should have named that uh khutbah Jesus got food and Muslims got the Quran but I don't know if that's I didn't want to be disrespectful but it was a really powerful powerful khutbah and just made me really excited and actually a little bit scared for the the journey with Surah Al maidah because the weight of the message um what Sheikh talked about yesterday um, the idea that you know our feast is really this Quran and the legacy of the Quran and what happens uh, after you know the, the Prophet's message has commenced, what uh, w- it weighs on us as Muslims to carry that forward is really um, it's a little bit frightening and very heavy. Obviously, um, you know, and uh, not to you know not to disparage the gift of food. I mean, obviously, is again another really interesting learning from here, which was you know, when the Quran came, for us, it was, we had moved beyond the age of miracles and now moved to the age of, um, you know, the, the text and what all of that means. And so it was a really, really powerful um, khutbah and I hope people will watch it. Um, and I also just wanted to commemorate, I mean, I guess I wrote about this in my weekly email, it's like 10 pages long, so I apologize for a very, very long email, but it dawned on me that it was our fifth year anniversary and today actually is exactly the five-year anniversary of our very first Halakha session um, back in 2017, December 9th, um, when we had invited a bunch of people from a cross-section of uh, Los Angeles that we knew to gather in our home um, way, back, way back then and started on this journey not really knowing like what we were really trying to do or where it would lead and so it's a really amazing thing to now five years later, like look back and see where you started, um, and where you are now, and what has happened along the way. And um, if you didn't read my email, or um, you know, or you don't get it, definitely subscribe. But in my email, I sort of track through like some of the highlights of what we've done since then, and it's it's an inter- it's a really amazing walk down memory lane, um, because you know, when we started out in two thousand seventeen we actually had one halakha session for December and then we kind of started doing just monthly halakhas And the idea was just, you know, we were really responding to just Islamophobia and all of the things that were happening in the world and how uh, how unhappy and frustrated we were at the status quo for Muslims. And we, you know, not not the the least of which just, you know, conversations that didn't really talk about some of the pressing issues, um, you know, and even controversial topics that other Muslim spaces would not talk about. So it was really just kind of um, you know, a, we started out thinking, well, we wanted to just create some community and have a space where we could just talk very frankly and openly, truthfully, with a lot of depth of knowledge, thank God, you know, and Sheikh could just really educate us on um, you know, what was happening in the world and you know, what would take to turn things around. And so these were really lovely, powerful conversations, and people responded, um, you know, by saying, "This is really refreshing and very powerful," and you know, thankfully, thank God, someone is saying something that resonates with the heart and the mind. Um, in two thousand eighteen, then we continued on with sort of, you know, not really like doing monthly, you know, gatherings, um, and then we alhamdulillah, um, started, and I realized after a twenty-plus year hiatus, where sheikh had not done any tafsir. Um, this was something that you know especially sharif had been on his case we were joking you know for six years uh, he really wanted his father to just start the tafsir again and he was he would say to us oh you know you are going to do the entire quran and we would look at him and we go yeah right you know <laughs> and we didn't believe him and yet here we are so thanks to sharif alhamdulillah, hamdulillah um, for his persistence um and so we started with in 2018 in the summertime by doing um, surah Rahman, and then a few more surahs by the end of the year. Um, and then we had some very, you know, wonderful conversations. Um, we tackled some difficult topics, like back then there was the issue of countering violent extremism and CVE, and so we brought people together who uh, wouldn't otherwise talk to one another. Um, Slam al Mariadi, Professor uh, Khalid Beydoun had a really very interesting conversation Back then also was the Tarq Ramadan controversy and no one had heard from the family of um, the Ramadan family and so we had invited Mariam Ramadan um, and invited also community members in Los Angeles to come attend and so that was a really, I think, monumental gathering um, that, you know, wouldn't have taken place otherwise. Um, and we had um, some other, you know, conversations about, you know, what, what is a sully? Because back then if you just kind of Googled a sully, you would get like this, oh, it's a shi- Shia, um, you know strain and uh, people had no idea like what is a Suli methodology and so we spent a lot of time talking about that um, And then we had a really um, important conversation on Muslim mental health Which is also a huge issue that a lot of people don't talk about with uh, Dr. Heather Laird um, And then by the end of the year a nice conversation Dr. Hashmi uh, not or Hashmi about um, about uh, reasoning with God um, the professor's book and then also we had an incredible panel where Sheikh was speaking with Noam Chomsky and Chris Hedges on the topic of the US-Saudi-Israeli alliance and all of these things I've provided and links Abdullah. and Abdullah Oda that was actually not in 2018 so um, that was the following year 2019 so I went year by year to just kind of provide highlights um, so we um, in 2019 of course what was the most significant was that um, you know we started the virtual chuppas, um every Friday you know we um, people were very unhappy we were very unhappy with the quality of khutbas um in the in the masjid and so we were really pressing the sheikh to you know please do virtual khutbas. and not knowing of course that a year later everything would be shut down from covid but so he agreed to do that and starting in january 2019 we actually started doing um weekly virtual khutbas, and um those were of course so powerful worship would just talk you know like now about things that other people would not talk about and bringing together the lessons from the Quran and how to apply them to things that were happening in our modern day, you know, how h- helping us as Muslims to understand how should we be reacting to the world and how should we feel about, you know, current events and what is our role, you know, should we just be silent and just understand and, you know, or should we be out there on the front lines of justice and so those things were really powerful. Um, and then we again continued with our um, monthly um, Monthly halakha gatherings where we continued, you know, deeper and deeper into the Quran, and then we did have a conversation with um, Abdullah al-Oda Alouda, who um, is the the son of um, Sheikh Salman al-Oda who we know is imprisoned to this day in Saudi, and um, you know, the legendary scholar, um, and that was a really powerful conversation on Saudi Arabia and political Islam and the state of the Middle East, and you know. Uh, Abdullah Alaudah is is a force. He's amazing um, and a beautiful man and extremely educated. He's actually on our board as well, but um, very brave in what he had to say in that conversation. It always stuck with me. Um, and then later that year, we also had our conversation with the comedian Rami Youssef, which was really, really interesting and fascinating because we delved really deep into the idea of artistry and using art as a means of you know, uh, advancing the cause of Islam and humanizing Muslims and, and talking about issues that um, weren't being talked about in other spaces. And you know, he since then has become a friend and we've been involved in other things. Um, so that's been really beautiful. And then I said as, my, as one of my favorite things in 2019, we also uh, launched Real Talk with Mido and Baba, which was the session where our son, our teenage son, who I think at the time was about 14, um, had an opportunity to just engage his father and just ask whatever question was on his mind which I thought was really powerful. And and we actually got a lot of feedback that people really appreciated. They learned a lot because, you know, they he was asking a lot of really important, smart, basic questions too, that maybe people had never really heard the answers to. And so it was a really valuable session. And also just to see the conversation between father and son, which is something that a lot of people um, had not had that experience. So that was really valuable. And then 2020, of course, um, was a really huge year with you know the onset of covid um and then sheikh lost most of his hearing at the beginning of the year but nevertheless i mean alhamdulillah, he persevered he kept going with the surahs with the the halakas um and that year delivered a, a total of 48 chuppas um and then we actually then started this incredible like journey in a sense because by by the middle of the the year um, he got the sense that maybe he should share some of this his own journey and so he did a few pilot episodes we did eight pilot episodes but we started with the first one which was surah al hadid and of course everybody was like oh my god this is incredible we have to do this and that kind of started our effort to raise money um, and think about how to develop this intense program which we are now pursuing to um you know finish the entire uh, quran um, and then by the end of that year, um, you know, we the last um, the last surah that we covered in that Project Illumin pilot series was Surah Al-Ankabut, which is the surah that the early Muslims received to prepare them for Hijra from the migration from Mecca to Medina. And as I wrote in, in our weekly email, this was a really, really prescient Sura for us because we were about to begin our own personal migration from Los Angeles to Ohio with a 100,000 book library and everything. And so we kind of moved everything over to Ohio where we um, really, the minute we arrived in January, 2021, we jumped head on into this project and started doing, um, you know, halakas twice a week, which has been really, really intense. and. Um, So I think the count by the time, uh, by the end of 2021, we started with Surah al-Tur here in this space. And it's like, uh, we did 59 chapters of the Quran in under 10 months. That brought us, I mean, and that was actually just to get us through the Meccan surahs. And then we did a few Medina surahs too in 2021. So that was pretty incredible. And then in 2022, where we are now, let me give you the the total because it's you know it's really amazing when you just look at like i I added all the links and so you just see the incredible you know amount of of content that is out there and available for people to engage in 2022 to, to uh to date we have completed 17 suras over the course of 53 halakha sessions. So, I mean, as you know, of course, like, Talbah took eight days, um, Bakara took 12, you know, as several of other surahs took more than one day of engagement. Um, so, and then this year he's delivered 47 khutbas. So when you tally everything together, you know, this is where it gets, like, just really, really mind-blowing. It's 188 chutbas, um since the since 2019, um, and a hundred and, 82 halakha sessions for um, just the tafsir halakha this is not to include other things that we've done um, aside from the tafsir and then of course in terms of the number of suras we've now after tonight we will have finished 91 suras in the project Illumin style and then when you add together the things all of the tafsir that sheikh has done in whether it's line by line or in project it's 113 out of 114 suras, so that is just mind blowing. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of other things that we've done in that time. You know, conversations, Q and As. You know, we tackled sexual abuse, we tackled death, we ta- tackled, you know, I mean, all kinds of things, right? And so this is just a highlight. But I'm I'm so proud and I'm so grateful. Like, you know, five years, you just don't realize how quickly time passes, how much you can cram in that amount of time. How much you can do. I'm so grateful to Sheikh because you know a, mo- a lot of that time he was also teaching a full schedule at UCLA Law School. So, you know, being here in this space, we know that we are really part of something magical happening, something divine, something really exceptional. And so, um, and alhamdulillah it's not it's not over yet. But you know, I'm just trying to really um, savor every every moment, and um, praying that you know Allah will continue to you know bless this journey that we're on and I just want to personally thank everyone who's been part of this journey um, and you know ask for your prayers and your support so you know Asuli can continue to go because for me like I try to imagine what would the world be like without Asuli and I think that that would be you know a really sad place and so it just makes you know and, and from the all the messages that I get from people who reach out and say that the work we do has helped to you know, uh, help them to reconnect with their faith or strengthen their faith or, you know, just been life transformative in one way, shape, or form. All of those things wouldn't have happened without Asuli. And so I think that, you know, for that I'm extremely grateful and, you know, even the idea of community, like when we started on this journey, you know, five years ago, we thought, okay, maybe this is about physical community and having people gather. But as I've learned, it's been so beautiful that you know, our community now expand extends all around the world and it's not, it's a virtual community. And even just to know that you receive an email, that you are connected to a group that is focused on the Quran, that's focused on, you know, reason and beauty and humanism. Um, even if you're just alone wherever you are, I know I've gotten lots of messages um, from people who, who say that, that it just means so much to them. And um, so alhamdulillah, I mean, I'm just, I'm incredibly grateful. And um, you know, I, I just, you know, it wouldn't have happened without Sheikh, without all of you, um, and I pray, inshallah, that we can just continue on and do even, you know, greater things from here on in. So thank you so much, and um, I'm so excited to continue with another um, installment of Project Illumen, um, Surah Al-Fajr and Surah al lail These were, I remember when we did these line by line, they were really, really powerful, but I cannot wait to hear the Project Illumin spin. So thank you so much for joining us, and uh, yeah, thank you so much, Sheikh.
1: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وسبحان الله العلي العظيم والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صلِّ وسلم وبارك على حبيب المصطفى محمد خاتم الرسل والأنبياء يجمعين المرسل رحمه للعالمين وعلى آله الأطهار الميامين وعلى أصحابه المختارين وعلى من اتبعوا بإحسان إلى يوم الدين اللهم اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي يا رب العالمين It is, um, you know, it gi- it does give one pause when when you think that we are um, charging up to explicating and setting out and understanding and absorbing uh, the message of Surah Al-Maida, the last. Major surah received um, um, in, in the in the final year of the Prophet's uh, life. After Surah Al Ma'idah, there is only Nasrullahi Wal Fatah. This is a short surah which, inshallah, we'll deal with, we'll talk about its message in two times. But it, it. You know, it, it's remarkable um, to think that when I when I pause and think that Allah has has allowed allowed me the the blessing of. Of giving me the health, the life to be able to share uh, this journey, you know. May Allah accept, and may, and what matters is that in the divine scales, that it be given its its proper weight. Um, and it is time for us to, as we will see, to notice how the beginning of the message connects with the end of the message. Because... There is there is a, an essential relationship to the basic building blocks that, rec- is, uh, that were received at the beginning of the Islamic message and the final testament. That Muslims are left with at the very end of the Quranic message, and indeed, we Muslims, when we when we fail to understand the Quran in this fashion, I think we end up being way off the mark uh, in in some critical, pivotal respects that, inshallah, um, continue to lay out. It's like If you haven't heard the khutbah that I gave on Friday, it is important to hear it because it, it's, the, the it is the inheritance that Allah left us with. And the proper understanding of this inheritance, meaning the proper way to carry, preserve, comprehend, digest, absorb and digest the divine message is so essential. And you cannot understand the divine message as sort of these bits and pieces that are interlaced with hadith uh, that might or might not be consistent with the thrust and the trajectory and the system of this testament, the feast, if you will, the repose, as I called it in the khutbah, that Allah left Muslims with. So, inshallah, we'll talk about, in order of revelation, probably the 8th and ninth surah or the ninth and 10th surah revealed. So we are talking about very early in the message. But now because we are approaching the end, it is very important to underscore the unifying themes and the critical links in the Quranic message. And I'm going, inshallah, be underscoring this from now till, till we're, we're done. Um, when the Prophet received the first revelation, literally received the marching orders, and there is a covenant. Between the, the covenant of prophecy, a covenant that is between the Prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this covenantal relationship introduces us to a covenant that is innate and primordial between human beings and their maker. Now, in the old, in, in a long time ago, where, where I dealt with Surah al-Fatiha, Al-Fatiha in, in considerable detail, and I, that tafsir is online? Where is Grace? Yeah. It is online? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, al-Fatiha, which literally means the the word fat fath, is to open, to unlock, to begin. Al Fatiha, the unlocking. In itself, Surah Al Fatiha, which we read in prayer repeatedly many times a day memorializes this primordial covenant between human beings and their maker and the elements that are preserved and memorialized by surah al-fatiha are Structural and basic that all good, all affirmative existence, all manifestations of Nama, of, of blessings, is. In the name of the one and only source. Bismillah Rahman arrahim. In the name of Allah. And the very act of creation is an act of Rahma, because everything that Allah has set in this creation is designed to maintain and further the gift of existence. So acknowledging that everything is uh, is in Allah's name, every positive act, every good, every blessing, every affirmative state of being, Every creation is in Allah's name. So again, we're we'll talking about the ba- these basic elements of the contract, and, I, and I'll, you'll see where I'm going with this. And the relationship or the cognition, the recognition, the affirmation, that everything is in Allah's name, is founded on the principle of gratitude. (inaudible) Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Without that sense of gratitude, there is no iman. There is no Quran. There is no comprehension. You can, if you don't know, that everything is in Allah's name and you don't know that gratitude is owed to Allah for every breath, every sight, every smell, every taste, every movement, the Quran is a closed book to you. No matter what you do, you will not unlock or comprehend or develop a relationship with the Qur'an, because the terms of the covenant themselves are not maintained and not honored. So, recognition of the premise of the dependence of everything on the divine that the covenant and your relationship to the divine itself is premised on gratitude and the recognition that as all the 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 early very early revelations affirm and indeed as well the entire Quran brings us back again and again and again to these basic themes that understanding the nature of the divine and understanding or developing that sense of gratitude is not possible if you don't understand the true attributes of the God that you worship, the God that you have a covenant with, and that that God is Rahman Rahim, is bound by mercy. This is not a disinterested, detached, God, this is a God involved to involved with humanity through the principle of mercy. Why is this critical? Because it goes back to if God is involved with humanity through the principle of mercy, the involvement amounts to the obligation of mercy. Allah provides mercy to human... Allah paid forward or is paying forward mercy and compassion to humanity which binds humanity to the affirmative obligation of manifesting and promoting and furthering Allah's mercy and compassion. Whenever humanity is acting in a way that doesn't manifest mercy and compassion, there is sudo and sabilillah. They are in fact repelling people away from the path of Allah instead of drawing people to a proper understanding of why everything is in Allah's name and what is proper gratitude or the principle of gratitude, the principle of hamd. Okay. Allah's name, gratitude, the taklif, the normative obligation of mercy as part and parcel of this covenant but it is not just empirical mercy it is virtuous mercy because our relationship, this, this, this entire enterprise of furthering Allah's mercy in existence is premised on the duality of ibadah and Istiana, that we worship God and we see God's, we, we acknowledge that we owe God, that's the worship part, the ibadah part, and we acknowledge that we are dependent on God. We are never. We never become. We never allow itself so, allow ourselves to drift into a state of istighna, into a state where we basically are telling God, we don't need you. We are. We do without you. And this is not an issue of empiricism, this is an issue of moral, ethical obligation. So, our understanding of what is ethically mandated and required is, in fact, anchored on the principle of gratitude and the principle of that we we forever our ethics are derived from our dependence on God and that's why we are bound by the principles of mercy and compassion we cannot say well it's convenient for us to act in in this situation or that or another situation without mercy or without compassion or well if we act cruelly we we save more lives or we achieve a greater good because, again, it's not an issue of, these are not empirical principles, these are ethical principles. Now, part of the covenant is that we all affirm that in fact there is an ethical path, that there is an objective morality and an objective ethics. And that is why we always say al mustaqim." We do not allow ourselves, that is the covenant, we do not allow ourselves to say, well, you know, what is right, what is wrong, who knows. The, because if you if you drift into that space, then you deconstruct the principle of gratitude. You deconstruct the principle of goodness. You deconstruct the principle of the name of Allah amounting to a meaning in itself. If you rob yourself the belief in objective khosn, in objective goodness, and then, then you will find yourself philosophically committed to questioning everything, including the principle of gratitude, the obligation of compassion and mercy, and indeed, even you will inevitably end end up emptying the idea of dependence on the divine from all objective meaning. It will become vacuous, it will become empty. So there is a sirat mustaqim, but we also acknowledge that this path of goodness, is only attained with God's help and through God's grace. It is not a simply interpretive enterprise, and it is not simply a rational enterprise. It is in part interpretive, and it is in part rational. But fundamentally, it is a state of grace, which further affirms the principle of gratitude and everything being in the name of Allah. So, even our relationship to morality and our relationship to ethics is in Bismillah and is founded on Alhamdulillah. And is, wa So, our entire relationship, when we say, إِهْدِنَا al الْمُسْتَقِيمُ that word, إِهْدِنَا, gift us, guide us, because we are saying, while we believe in an objective morality, but we also understand that it will never be the case That we through happenstance fall upon a virtuous society, or that through simple empirical evolution we achieve a virtuous society. Virtue on this earth and in the hereafter is a state in which proper gratitude and proper dependence. On Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala is constantly acknowledged and fulfilled and furthered. Quite simply, quite simply, those who do not understand this covenant are lost. They are a lost humanity. That is why we say غَيْرُ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ It is God's wrath. It is not a, 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 so much as... مَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ It doesn't describe God's rage because God doesn't have rage. It's not, this is not the Old Testament. But those who are shunned from God's light and God's compassion and God's mercy because they've made themselves in a state of loss. Now, al-Fatiha, that basic message received early on is affirmed in surah after surah after surah in the entire Meccan period. But more than that, it is the key to understanding every surah in the Quran. Every surah in the Quran ultimately ends up affirming these basic precepts everything is in Allah's name, or should be. Gratitude, the existence of an ethical past of virtue that you attain only through proper gratitude and proper ihsan, the act of goodness itself, and it is a state of grace and that those who don't attain it are in a lost state. The entire journey with the Quran is an affirmation of this basic covenantal relationship. So in order to understand the building blocks of the early surah in the Quran, it is quite clear that all the surah that are revealed, especially in the first three years before Hijrah. constantly affirm and underscore these basic building blocks that define the covenantal relationship between, and remember, when we say Muslims, Muslims are not just the followers of Muhammad, <laughs> but the, 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 the followers of monotheism, from the beginning of time till Muhammad والسلام, and thereafter. And so Allah consistently, it's like a good lawyer, a good lawyer will have a basic thesis, but will come at the same basic thesis through numerous angles demonstrating the basic essential points, so numerous arguments that approach different venues to making the same basic point. And this is precisely, we see this very clearly in the first soar of the Meccan period. But we see it time and time again that once we understand the Fatiha, surah al-Fatiha, as the key that unlocks the meaning, we see that the entire Qur'an, surah after surah, is a reminder, a constant reminder or a demonstrative examples of what this covenantal relationship means. So first, Surat al-Fajr, well actually, let's do it the other way, Surat al Layl, which is reported to have been revealed before Surat al-Fajr, but shortly before, not substantially before. Um, numerous reports say that they were both revealed one after the other, um, in uh, r- respectively um, the ninth and tenth store, as I said, or the the eighth and ninth, as some reports say. Okay. Now, of course, I'm not going to, the, There, if you're interested in what the traditional classical sources say about the different different interpretations and different meanings for every word and every school, you know, you can uh, 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 consult the tafsir I did the line by line tafsir in which i i don't introduce um any of what i've talked about here okay i when just speaking so walayli idha yaghsha walnahari idha tajalla wama khalaqa dhakara walunsa Inna Sayakum Lashata. Okay. So first, the night as it, I would as it overcomes, or the night as it veils. contrasted as Allah educates our moral sense to remind us of what we know innately and primordially, that contrasted to the emergence of a Nahar or the emergence of the morn, the morning, As a number of commentators have mentioned, this is not unique to me, but it is not the the most traditional approach, is that these are constant references as again, as we find many reports by the by by the successors that reflects this understanding, that reflect on the darkness here is a state of absence of illumination, absence of understanding. It is a state like jahiliya, where you have no moral guidance, and no moral insight. Now, the thing is, notice how the darkness spreads. Notice how the darkness overcomes. Notice how the darkness veils it is as if enter in your mind the image of how this darkness is permitted to spread and take over. But understand in the same moment how the light how illumination, enlightenment, goodness can emerge and break out in the midst of this darkness. And the wording here is remarkable because in the same way that Allah cast this image of the night or the darkness as it overcomes. When Nahari is a tajalla, it is literally the image of the light breaking through. At tajalli, even when we it literally, tajalli is a state of enlightenment. The word itself means to become enlightened. So here, as the light, if you want a literal translation, as the light lights up, or as the illumination shines through. And this is precisely why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right after drawing this image, It's telling us reflect on the fact that, and and it is men and women. You've been created, you you, in my understanding, regardless of your gender, regardless of whether you are a man or a woman. Your maker is one. The principles are one. The covenant is one. You, in fact, yeah, you, in fact, seek out divergent paths, divergent ways. Because you were created with the autonomous ability to direct, to develop a will and act upon this will, the What comes inevitably from this is divergence and difference. It is as if saying reflect on the night and the day and reflect on the many divergent paths that you take in life and reflect on your irada, your will, and reflect on what of your will and your actions generates the darkness or produces the light. Now, you want to understand from what would appear to the non-reflective to those who are not comprehending people, people who are not people of tafakkur and ta'akul, would appear to be just a chaos of a chaotic state of wills and determinations and actions and consequences. In fact, the logic is basic and undeniable and eternal. Man aata wa taqa takes us back to the basic elements of the Fatiha. Those who taqa, Those this is ibadah those who understand what gratitude to Allah means what dependence to, on Allah means what, what man ata so this is atqa this is the taqwa part the ata part the ata part it's obvious the mercy and the compassion meaning that who get that who who affirms the remembrance of Allah the dependence of Allah on Allah and in fact affirms the primordial obligation of perpetuating Allah's mercy and compassion through giving. You must give. You must be giving. The only way you can achieve the Sirat al-mustaqim, the only way you can achieve the morning, the enlightenment, the light, the only way you can resist the darkness, the only way you can allow the light to break through the darkness is not just through taqwa, meaning your ibadah, but through giving. The two, the duality your dependence Allah, on Allah and your giving. But the giving itself must be premised on the belief of an objective truth and an objective virtue. وَصَدَّقَ bilhusna Believed in goodness. So you find the same elements that are in Fatha. and in fact, you, if, you, if you take what I've told you and go back and re-study the Quran and write the elements of the Al-Fatha on one side and study every surah of the Quran, you will find the elements of Al Fathah affirmed in every surah, repeatedly. Not in the same order that you find it in the Fatha, but the basic elements the basic elements of Allah's covenant. So you must believe in al-husna. But belief without ata is meaningless. And ata without belief is meaningless. And ata, giving, without be- or, or ata and belief, but without acknowledgement that it is all from Allah, and to Allah is also meaningless the basic elements of the covenant and then Allah tells you <لِلْيُسْرَة> those people are the people that deserve the إِهْدِنَ al mustaqim. those are the people that deserve that Allah hands Allah's grace to them so that they can enjoy the emergence of enlightenment and the light. لِلْيُسْرَةِ So, Muhammad Asad translated that for them shall we make easy the path towards ultimate ease. That's very literal, but what it means is the salvation, the yusra, the ihdina sirat al-mustaqim, the hidayah. The hidayah of the past, of not being among those who are maghdub alayhim. But then Allah lays it out because Allah is building the moral structure of the human beings who are receiving the Qur'an. And is reminding them of what they know innately. But as to and again, istighna, let's take istighna first. Istigna means what? They think of themselves God is dead. We don't need God. Whether they 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 do it so philosophically or they do so practically by completely ignoring the role of God in their life. The role of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The obligation of ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. What type of obligation? The type of people that say, well, let's be pragmatic. Well, let's be practical. Oh, we have to be realistic here. What is the role of the divine? But so it becomes very clear, at juxtaposed to aata, that who gives is man bakhila, that who doesn't give. So even if you have all the correct beliefs, but you're not a giving human being, what you do and the way you act, you don't spread goodness, You take, but you don't give. Or you limit your giving to yourself. And as we will see, to what makes you perhaps happy, but not in order to affirm a principle. And as to that, who not just doesn't believe in the normative obligation of goodness. The language here is amazing, and that's why, again, you can juxtapose my approach here to the traditional classical tafsir that I've done before. When I've done it before, I withheld offering my own school of thought, but this is about my own school of thought. So... I, you know, I'll leave the contrast for those who are interested in doing the comparison. But Husna, in my understanding, it's quite clear that the language itself means that this is the the this is the best way to describe the skeptical mindset that only believes in what it sees and what it touches. Or that makes excuses not to do good because it philosophizes against goodness. Well, you know, how do we know what's really right or wrong or what's really this, etc., etc.? Now, as to that type of person or to these types of people, fasanuyas siruhu Usra. Now, in Muslim theology, there are tons of Muslim theologians who stood at fasanuyas Lil Usra, and it was the subject of debates among the murji'ah and the mu'tadila and the, the mu'tazila and the Ashariyya and, and so on and so forth. That, these two words of Um, Muhammad as translates it as for them shall we make easy the path towards hardship and you know because it has to do with predestination and people invented a hadith that they attributed to the Prophet in which the Prophet is supposed to say oh you know each of you will be led towards what they've been destined to whether it's ease then it's a path of ease and if it's hardship then it's a path of hardship Etc., etc., but it's a long story, and none of these ahadiths that make it sound like human beings are predestined towards hell or heaven from the moment of creation are unreliable. None of them. And, وَكَذَبَ husna, If you take even the literal meaning of the language, كَذَبَة, to give the lie to, Bilhusna, you give the light to goodness. You deny the possibility of goodness. You've allowed yourself to be jaded and, and, and blackened. Your heart is black. Your mind is black. As to these people, where are they going to end up in exactly the bed that they made for themselves, they're going to end up in al-usra, in true hardship, because their souls, they are not the people that deserve Allah's grace, because they don't believe in Allah's grace. Look at how Allah is like, raising, educating people, told them, told them, listen, the state of misery you're going to end up in, you might have a lot of wealth, you might have mal, but is as they deteriorate from the state of illumination and light and degrade into phases of darkness and further darkness. So as you deteriorate, because you are not giving, because you don't understand greater gratitude, because you allowed yourself to think that morals and principles come from you, not from Allah, that you think that being compassionate or merciful or giving people their due is something left up to your discretion or to your convenience or to your politics or to your ideology. So you will deteriorate and all the wealth that you'll own will not bring you any happiness. It will not. You will be truly like al maghdubi alayhim. Now, Allah then reminds you inna remember people that allah sends this quran to you why for huda for guidance the very reason that you are receiving this book is because of this guidance the very reason that you have this covenant represented by al fatiha is for guidance huda and remember in the lana, khirat, that beginning and end belongs to Allah. You just th- you have the pretense, the delusion of independence. You have the delusion of a beginning and end. You think that you begin when you're born and you end when you die. But that's precisely this a delusion. Beginning and end only is with Allah. Allah warns you, the fire that awaits those who turn away from the Fatiha, who turn away from the covenant, who turn away from the message. Ar-Razi himself says, in his tafsir, that al-Razi understood very well that the very nature of material things in the hereafter can be completely different. And as al-Razi says that the, the fire that awaits us when Allah warns us of a fire its nature and the experience from it is unprecedented to us. We don't have a frame of reference. So, but it, it's a fire of our own making, a product of our own state of loss and dwelling. Our own the state of the darkness that we have generated for for ourselves. Now, as to though, and Allah again underscores. Now, you want to avoid the, the hellish loss, the hellish darkness that awaits al-maghdub alayhim those who are lost then understand sayujannabahu al-atqa al-atqa again refers to taqwa refers to bismillah bismillah rahman rahim alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. That is the essence of taqwa gratitude and dependence of allah on allah but taqwa, and again Allah underscores it that a taqwa without the principle of giving, the, the, the taqwa without the act of constant giving is meaningless, as giving without taqwa is meaningless. Now, and allah in 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 remember again I, that allah is, is 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 raising the 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 spiritual morality of the recipients of the quran by saying and i will tell you a further, further element here wa mali min tujza illa wajhi as you are giving. I am not talking about those who constantly give or want to give or do give because they are are looking for prestige or they're looking for fame or they're looking for people to thank them. Gratitude is owed, proper gratitude, is owed to Allah. You, my own obligation... You owe an obligation of gratitude as an ethical obligation. But it is not people's gratitude that should motivate you, nor people's praise, nor people's appreciation. But your, your, your relationship to the ethic of service and the ethic of giving, as is your relationship to ethics, period, period, is your consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your desire to please Allah. So, doesn't expect thanks from anyone except seeking the face of thy Lord. So, it is not, it is, at, at this early stage, where you where Allah is is cultivating the 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 strongest and the purest Muslims Allah is telling them the the the, the truth in its basic most pure form that seek closeness to your Lord that is what should drive you that's what should define your relationship to virtue and morality and for that type of person rida here is not just is not just that you Ultimately, in the hereafter, you will be rewarded. But, in order to truly be able to give, without the, uh, in in order to truly have a relationship to virtue and morality, where you give without the expectation or the equation of receiving. So, I don't, believe in a moral precept because I take as much as I give. In order for that to happen, you have to have a rida. You have to have satisfaction. Again, look at how everything mirrors and replicates the essence of al-Fatiha. That sirat al the the very words give you a sense of allow us to be among those who have contentment and peace in their heart. They're happy as long as they feel that Allah is happy with them. They don't go about this earth thinking in terms what did we cash in from God And what were we denied by God? But the fundamental relationship is the relationship of rida with their Lord. Of saying fundamentally, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. This is This is Surat Al Lil wal Layl Ida which was followed by Surat al fash Let's take a three-minute break and then we'll do, inshallah, Surah Al-Fajr. Three minutes. (laughs) Bismillah, Rahman, Rahim. So, now, Surah Al-Fajr we'll see the affirmation of the same message but with some variations that are very important. So, first, Wal Fajr. Now, the Fajr, the, 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 the beginning of daylight is juxtaposed to layl yes, the night, yes, could be translated as Muhammad Asad translates as runs its course. But it, it can, layl yes, as again as the night spreads and expands, we see the 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 same. Um, metaphorical dynamic where Allah is inviting us to think about what something that all human beings with a little bit of reflection struggle with. The spread of darkness, the spread of evil, the spread of conditions that are other than illumination i mean the 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 same moral um the, the 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 same moral predicament that occupied philosophers like Socrates Allah invites us to focus on these moral predicaments what La is the darkness as it spreads, the night as it overcomes. <coughs> and the breaking out of the light. What Between these, Allah mentions, or Allah swears by. So first, fajr, the breaking out of the morning. wa ayalin ash, shaf' wal-watar. In the traditional tafsir, you you'll see that I spend a lot of time talking about all the different meanings of wa layalin ashra al So again, if you're interested in all the 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 traditional classical um, perspectives, um, refer to the line by line tafsir that I did. But and Ash, here, you know, they all say, oh, is it the, the last ten days of Ramadan? Is it the first ten days of Muharram? Is it this, is it that? I don't think it, it matters. The ten days that Allah is referring to here, I believe, are the beginning of the Qur'anic revelation which we know takes place in the last 10 days of the month of Ramadan. And while Allah, as as everything that relates to the details of the life of the Prophet you know, what precise day or what precise hour is not the point. But the point is to understand that In in these 10 days were the, the, the beginning of a new phase in the life of humanity, the breaking out of the dawn in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the jahiliyyah. The breaking out of the fajr. Now, was Shaf'i wal Watr. And again, in the traditional classical tradition, there's a lot of different interpretations as to what shaf wal Watr means. I think that the reference is quite clear. Shaf' is a duality, wal Watr is a singularity. Was Shaf'i the fact that in creation everything was founded on a relationship of duality, positive and negative, a thing and its opposite. Except for the singularity, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why we symbolically, when we do salat al-iqama at the very end we do salat al-shafa two rak'ahs and salat al-witr which is supposed to be one rak'ah in it's we are affirming that that the, our our innate understanding that the world of the created is founded on these dualities the negative versus the positive The very nature of energy is negative and positive. Something flows to something else, a beginning and an end. But the very logic of the created does not apply to the singularity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one and only, has no beginning, has no end, has no positive, has no negative and yes people has no gender allah is neither male nor female is singularity and our understanding of allah is to submit to that we can understand the attributes of allah We can experience the grace of Allah. But the truth of Allah is beyond our human experience or the experience of the created things. And that's then, Allah asks this rhetorically. Do you understand the importance of this oath only those with the proper intellect. Now, the word hijr is is very interesting because the intellect is called a hijr because a hijr is what um, is what blocks or what Controls. That's hijr. And the reason the intellect is called hijr is because it's supposed to control you or block you or prevent you from doing irrational things. Like destroying yourself, for instance. From that, the word hajar, referring to a stone, something that is hard, was was developed. So what Allah says, does a person of intellect understand this oath, understand the importance of what Allah says, reflect upon the nature of how dark things are without the light and the light that comes from the one and only the one who has no beginning, the one who has no end, the singular, the one and only, unlike anything else or anyone else, has no comparables. Reflect upon the fact that in creation you can understand the logic of creation because you can understand the logic of dualities. But, don't apply the logic of dualities upon the reality of the singularity of the one and only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then Allah draws our attention to powerful and 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 again as i told you before that Allah keeps referring to the same examples Because they are prototypes to historical dynamics. Unlike the Bible, the Bible would go into very specific details, telling you the story of these people or that people. In the Quran, the point is not the historical details. The point is the moral lesson. So it's like Allah saying, Listen. You, in your own mythology, recipients of the Quran, you know about Iram, the people of Iram. You know, in the traditional tafsir, there's long discussions about who the people of Iram are, but in the basic Arab mythology, the people of Iram were a people that were extremely powerful, that they were that imad meaning uh, that Ahmad is, a, is an, a, 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 an idiomatic expression, that they were people who constructed firm buildings, firm institutions. That Ahmad could even refer to powerful armies, to whatever they believed is going to last them. In fact, for their time, and in your own Arab mythology, you know, you tell stories about the people of Aram who were just, had no equivalent. They had, their civilizational achievements were like no other. Where is Aram now? They're long gone. It is, again, in Arab mythology, they are buried under layers of sands in the desert. What looked at one time to human beings like will last forever and is undeniable is now long gone you hardly know their geographic location. You hardly know even their memory, whatever they thought the institutions that they built, and at the time looked like they were not going to last forever, has been done away with. And similarly, Thamud, the people of Thamud. And again, in the line-by-line tafsir, I go into great detail about who Aram was, you know, all the different reports about Iram, the different reports about Thamud. For our purposes, I don't think it, it's like the early Muslims. We don't have a prophet, ﷺ giving a long lecture about who Aram was or Thamud was because it doesn't matter. But what people knew about Thamud is, again, they were a civilization that was sufficiently advanced that they were able to cut stones. What was at the height at at, the, at their time the height of a civilizational achievement is that you are going you are able to go to mountains and cut stones from these mountains with whatever equipment they used. And the people of the Pharaoh, the the you know, in the tradition, there some say, "Oh, they they're called the Autad, the people of an Aotad, meaning the people of the outad are pillars." Again, something what it is something that you drill in the in the ground, and they tell you, "Oh, they were called the pharaohs were called the people of, uh, the outad, These things that are drilled in the ground because they used to torture people by, uh, you know, drilling four posts on the ground and then tying them to." quartered, like two arms and two legs tied into four um um uh what do you call them um, anchors you know but that's not reliable uh, what azzul autad here means awzul awtad here means that the people of the, the the people of the pharaoh who like iram who built, who who founded their civilization on what they thought were pillars lasting, dominating createdness, dominating the earth that they lived in. And like Samud, who were able to carve or cut stones, you have the people of Pharaoh who built marvelous structures. The people of Pharaoh, of course, are the ones that the, their, their monuments survived. And so we, we know what the Quran means when it says that they were the people of Autad, of, of marvelous creations. While, but again, if you've ever visited Egypt and visited the old temples, the thing that strikes you is how monumental and truly spectacular these temples were and how remarkably empty. And you think to yourself, how did the process come to be where these temples that were once upon a time filled with human beings and represented the height of civilization and glory and strength have now become something so pathetic as places to be visited by tourists. I mean, tourists visiting a site is rather pathetic. They're there to for entertainment. But none of that glory is reproducible anymore. Now, but Allah gives us a critical clue about why Allah draws our attention to the spread of the night, the breaking of the dawn, and to the duality and the singularity, the shaf'a and the witr. الَّذِينَ طَغَوْ فِي الْبِلَادِ فَأَكْثَرُوا فِيهَا الْفَسَادِ The traditional tafaseer tell you that those that when Allah says الَّذِينَ طَغَوْ فِيهَا الْفَسَادِ Those who spread oppression and misery on earth فَأَكْثَرُوا فِيهَا الْفَسَادِ and spread corruption, that here the Quran is referring to the people of the Pharaoh. I think that reading is unjustified. I think clearly the context indicates that here, this is not referring to the people of the Pharaoh, just the people of the Pharaoh, but referring to all the prior examples. Allah is saying, look at those people who built civilizations that were truly spectacular, but the darkness they suffered from was toghiyan, oppression, and fasad, corruption. And because of the oppression and the corruption that was at the heart of their civilizations فَصَبْ عَلَيْهِمْ رَبُّكَ صَوْتَ عَذَابِ إِنَّ that ultimately Allah allowed them literally as verse 13 reads literally if read very literally, and therefore thy sustainer let loose upon them a scourge of suffering, for verily thy sustainer is ever on the watch. Here I would say, yes, that what ultimately catches up with you is the scourge of what you've, through your own misdeeds, have created. The suffering will inevitably come and Allah will allow it to come because this is what you sowed. That that this relationship of cause and effect which the relationship of dualities You build a civilization upon oppression, you build a civilization upon corruption, that is the cause. The effect is the inevitable misery and suffering that will come. That is the logic of creation that Allah is inviting us to think about. Don't think that it is about just getting by or surviving. The darkness is your own making when you tolerate oppression and corruption to exist on earth. And that is as inevitable as the dualities of positive and negative in creation. And know that Allah bil Mirsad that Allah does not allow evil of oppression and injustice and the evil of corruption to go unanswered forever. It is always a matter of time, okay so. But then Allah says to us, it's like Allah is talking to us and saying, but Allah knows that you guys, you human beings, are rather funny in a pathetic way. فَأَمَّا الْإِنسَانُ إِذَا مَبْتَلَاهُ رَبُّهُ فَأَكْرَمَهُ فَيَقُولُ Rabbi Allah knows that you guys, in this entire dynamic, you don't think about oppression and corruption and dualities and cause and effect. You're very short-sighted. When you get your material things when you are succeeding materially in life you tend to say it's because I deserve it and in fact it's because God loves me and you indulge in fantasies about how you are a very spiritual person and God is fine with you and you're fine with God and you know, you build a, a a whole imagined world, a presumptuous, immorally presumptuous world. But at the same time, at the same time, when you find that you're not getting your, your, your way, you're not making whatever you expect or what, think you are entitled to, you become angry at God. You beca- you, 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 your attitude is, why isn't God treating me right? Why isn't God giving me what I believe I deserve? Why isn't my dua being answered? Why is the evil, you are fine with evil as long as you are getting what you want and you are happy. But once you are denied, you start looking around and saying the evil that exists, that's God's fault. You start noticing what you were oblivious to when you lived satisfied in luxury or whatever Material things you want are met. The world was then rosy and fine, but once you got denied, you started looking around and saying, "Oh, you see, there's all this misery, and this is God's fault." And then Allah says, "Kalla, no, no, you're not going to get away. You're not getting away with putting it on God." Remember, Shafa the the duality and the singularity. The truth of the matter is you The truth of the matter is you don't give the orphan their due. Not just to do, but tukrimun. You don't, tukrimun al-ikram is to elevate and to dignify. It didn't say, la tutimun al-yateem. It didn't say you don't feed the orphan. It said, la tukrimun al-yateem. Allah knows that when someone is an orphan, you don't want them to marry your daughters. You don't think that they're, 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 uh, um, good enough for you. You don't think you, you start looking down at them. You don't give them their due. You are a classist, bigoted people. And here again, it's not Allah said. And you don't feed you don't feed the poor. No, Allah said, "Wala meaning you don't. Vow with one another. Tahadun literally where you consistently seek after a thing and compete to achieve a thing. You don't compete with one another to feed those, those who are needy. So the standard is not just you don't dignify the orphan because of your, the, the, your your bigoted way of understanding things and you don't live in a, a social life in which you work with one another you vow with one another you organize your entire society to feed those who need to be fed What. <inaudible> And on, in addition to all of this, or the cause of all of this, is that when it comes to money, Allah knows, you look the other way, you justify putting the money in your pocket, right or wrong. You make excuses to take turas, literally, literally is inheritance, it is to pocket the inheritance that you might not even be entitled to. To look the other way when you know money is haram, to just put it. And the, the, the heart of the disease or the disease in your heart is your attachment and your love of money. You define everything according to financial status. You are worth your social status or who you respect and what you don't respect, who you honor or you don't honor, who you look up to or you don't look up to. It's all per how much money. And so, you want to understand the plight of why the the people of the Pharaoh and the people of Iram and the people of Had, why they deserved what they deserved. You want to understand why oppression and corruption spread. You want to understand why the darkness spreads. It is that. Because you compromise on the ethical and moral precepts that Allah encoded in you and that in truth you know are true. And that is why when the time comes and Allah wraps up this entire game And you are confronted with the ultimate truth that the only lasting thing is the one and only, the singular, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you are confronted by Allah and the angels. And the image here is like Saffa, it's as if the angels are standing in lines. And you are presented with the truth of Jahannam. Now, here again, notice, Waji'a yawma izlim It's as if hell will be brought forth. You will be it's not that you will be brought to hell but it literally as if hell would be brought right before your eyes when everything becomes undeniable, then the veils melt away, the deceptions fade away at that time you will remember and at that time, you will feel why not honoring our orphan and not vowing with one another to feed the needy and not living a righteous life with such a disaster. But at what, that point, what's the use? When you, are, when you see fear, when you experience fear, fear will knock the truth right into your mind and you will say I wish I've done better ya laytani qaddamtuli hayati but it's going to be pointless now here there's different readings or وَلَا you وَثَاقَهُ Now again if you go to the line by line tafsir, you see I go and spent a lot of time talking about the differences in, in interpretation, etc. etc. But again in in, the, in in this my school of thought, I think the meaning is actually quite clear. That at that point a human being hardly will need to be restrained. And at that point, <laughs> a human being will hardly need to be even tortured. The torture, and the, the, there's no escape. And being confronted by the truth that you've lived an entire lifetime denying the terror of that moment, the disappointment of that moment is torture enough. Allah then contrasts this to this tormented, terrified, broken soul that says, I've lived a lifetime philosophizing what is wrong, ignoring what is right, adopting the wrong values. To an-nafsul mutma'inna. Ya ayyatuhal nafsul mutma'inna. Now, an-nafsul mutma'inna, that person who has a contended soul at peace. A soul that has nothing to fear. And Allah allows us, and that's why I started this halaqah by refocusing our understanding or refocusing our attention upon the fatha. Because at that point, you know what Allah is talking about. Allah is talking about the covenant the covenant that began in the name of Allah, gratitude to Allah, dependence on Allah, and recognition that there is right and wrong. There are values that are beyond you and not subject to your sovereignty and hegemony. And that you can't just brush away. And that there are عليهم, those who have lost the path. So when Allah says ya Allah reminds us of this is of course 27. The human being as Muhammad Asad describes it as the human being who attained inner peace. And المطمئنة, literally المطمئنة is being content not in fear not in terror not in anxiety being in a state of tranquility. Now, as to that soul, come back, you came from your Lord and you are coming back to your your Lord. In a state of complete contentment, you are pleased with your Lord and your Lord is pleased with you. And so, you are not afraid to return to your Lord. You have nothing to hide. You haven't done a dirty deed that you are ashamed of and trying to put behind your back. And that is why your recompense is You knowing that you are coming back to a state of return to your Lord, submission to the the kingdom of your Lord, the sovereignty of your Lord, is not scary for you. Because you are at peace with God and God is at peace with you. Now, so, in Surah Al-Fajr, Like Surah Al-Layl, Allah draws the attention to these early Muslims, remember that these early Muslims soon they will know the state of oppression, the state of living without values, without morality as the word jahiliyyah, the, the, the state of ignorance. The early Qur'an is what laid the foundations for this. The state of, why is it the state of ignorance? Because it is the state of darkness. And Allah comes and says, time and time again, you want to understand what the Fathah that I revealed to you is about? What this covenant that you enter with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is about? It is not just about belief and it is not just about action. It is the duality of the two. You cannot be Muslims unless you give and unless you rid yourselves of the values of jahiliyyah, of the values of ignorance and darkness. Unless you elevate yourself to the point of honoring the dignity of the disempowered and breaking your social taboos and social habits to introduce the light of virtue in your lives. Because that is what a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means. Finally, I'll close with this. Go back and you will see that the entire Mecca and Qur'an lays the moral foundation. Allah time and time again in the entire Mecca period lays the moral foundation for the basic truth that act like constitutional overriding principles. what All the demonstrative examples that manifest in Medina are just that. They're examples that arise from historical challenges with historical responses. But Never does a historical challenge and a historical response permit you to ignore the basic constitutional principles. So, in other words, never does a positive commandment received in the 10th year Hijrah allow you to say, I no longer have to worry about what's compassionate and what's merciful. Never are you allowed to say, I don't have to worry about how do I dignify the orphan, because I've decided that building orphans, orphanages is good enough for them. And when you lose sight of the foundations, the anchors, you become like the people of the Pharaoh, like Aram, like Thamud, people who built societies, but they're empty. And that's why when they fell apart, no one knows exactly, no one even, the memory is not even worth, worth it. While Allah preserves the memory of the ethical teachers to humanity. Unlike the Bible, in the Quran, Allah hardly bothers to preserve the memory of the failures of humanity. Allah preserves the moral lesson, but not the details. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. And this is surat uh, al-layl wa surat al-faj we are truly approaching the end of the journey and the moral responsibility and i you know every i i i never thought i would live to actually complete this journey and and allah alam you know every day is is, is you never can, you can never assume so every day you, you is, is a blessing from Allah and a gift and and but um, but I I've I've I, I I I don't I can't tell you how many times I've through this long journey of of of, of twenty years how many moments I thought to myself if only my people knew. Um, I mean, how can Allah give us as Surat Al-Ma'idah? Will, will, inshallah, when we do it, will will tell you very. How can Allah give us this repose, this 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 absolute moral feast, this this gift that we inherit, uh, so that we can be witnesses for God in the f- sake of justice. And we be so oblivious. Um, but I guess, you know, the, the first step for the Fajr to re-emerge is to actually preserve the message. So I guess that's uh, just the first step, is for the message to be restated and reclaimed in its purity and its, in its pristineness um, before we allowed ourselves to get distracted in a million different ways. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Want to come do the
0: honors? Okay, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, Alhamdulillah, I just honestly, there's, there's never enough words to express gratitude because you know we 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 covered these two surahs before and as you said it's like really um it feels so wonderful to be able to say you know if you want the detail go back and listen because we spent so many hours covering these things but it's you know both pleasure and Leil, but i think it's so powerful when then you come back and you really give us the essence of this message and we just see how um, how apropos it is for our time, right? Because when you talk about like civilizations who have been, you know, so strong and at the height, you feel like you know nothing can ever happen. You know whether it's like oh the U.S. is dominant and wonderful, and then it's like it could just be it's a lesson for us because we know in our world there's so much oppression, there's so much corruption everywhere, um, and that you know we can't deny this fundamental truth that you know the message of of God that you know, and, and the importance of light, and, you know, just being able to, like, look at this very short story that tells us, you know, reflect on um, the spread of darkness, and then, you know, we've talked about, like, how light comes in and cuts the darkness, and the illumination, you know, and, and all of it, it's just so beautiful when, when you bring it all back together, and you say, let's let's remember, you know, the beginning and the end, how it all ties together, and the consistency, and, you know, even telling us like every surah just re-emphasizes what you covered in Fatiha. And um, for those of you who maybe, we, we you know, we did Fatiha back in 1996. So it actually lives on uh, SoundCloud, our Suli channel on SoundCloud, and it's audio. But it's it's so, so powerful. Um, and I'm looking forward to us going through that again, inshallah, too. Um, but just, and, and you know, things like telling us that, you know, the Quran is not about the details like the Bible of, you know, a particular incident or an event, but about the moral principles and that this is a message for monotheists over time. I mean, there's just, there's so much gold in, you know, these sessions, so thank you so much. Um, And, uh, you know, since uh, we want to just try to, I guess, hold off on the Q&A to the next section, you said um, we could just cover, just end by asking if you could just share with us. Your journey with um, with these two surahs and like what you remember about, you know, what you um, were engaged with, obsessed with, um, where you were, what you were thinking, and all of that. I'll just mention uh, that today.
1: Uh, these were pretty early on, and and in fact, there were. I, th- I I'm. I think they were among the first sword that I tackled after the fatha um, but I was just really struck the I was really struck in when you read when when you sort of read the collectivity of uh the early, the, the everything you can find about the early, the first generations, and and I was 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 always struck by how the Fatiha, which is is literally literally translates into the opening or the key or the was was a, as if it opened a a as if it, it as if it was a, a, a gate that opened for the first generation to enter into a, a, an entirely different life the the type of life and and actually like my, the the thing that struck me about al uh, fajr is that among the many different reports that you read about uh, occasions for revelations and so on. But what stands out is a report that is so, it it comes in many different forms, but it's so cumulative that both saw the there are often traditions that say that that these suwar came because Abu Bakr freed, bought seven slaves and freed them. But I investigated this, and, and, and I think it's the other way around, that among the things that these two suwar did and revealed shortly after the Fatiha was literally to ignite a fire in which we start getting a new ethic and a new attitude of uh, including a new ethic, a new attitude, slavery is bad, freedom is good. Um, Those who are slaves are drawn to Islam and like Salman al Pharisee. Muslims are collecting money from one another to help those who are enslaved to to buy their freedom or Muslims understand that in order to st- st- open a new page with Allah that their entire relationship towards the dispossessed and the poor and the orphans and the enslaved is... Completely revolutionized, and you can't have when you keep reading reports after reports after reports about how you know uh, it, it, you know the most famous of them is Abu Bakr when he goes and he uh, donates all this money to buy seven uh, slaves who are mistreated and frees them and and his father tells them you know. You keep spending your money on buying the weakest people and freeing them. Why don't you at least buy some strong men and 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 free them? But at least they'll they'll be grateful to you, and and then they'll be an aid to you. They'll they'll be loyal to you. You go and you spend your money on the weakest people and free them. It doesn't make sense from irrational perspective. And Abu Bakr simply it, 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 when you see him talking to his father and say, you don't understand. I I I I'm not thinking at all of what the ways that this can benefit me. But when you keep then you read all these this new excitement, new literally it feels like the breaking of the dawn. Literally, like as if these people were experiencing the sun coming up in their life. And they are fired up. And at that point, they're not fired up to carry a sword and go to war. Not even at all. They're fired up to tell the people about the good news that they heard. That there is this message, this liberating message... And they're fired up with this sense of dignity and the sense of illumination. You know, I have been enlightened. And then you get the itch. Okay, I've got to understand what was... I want to feel this excitement. I want to feel this... This burn in my soul that when uh, when when these people apparently understood when Allah told them God is taking you from darkness to light, they 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 felt it. But you have to be really honest with yourself, and that's what my journey was. And part of the reason I I like didn't want to journey, share my journey with the Quran for so many years, and you know, and you and Sharif were you know after me, is that. Part of being honest with yourself is that I don't feel it. I don't feel that that burn that they felt. I don't feel that sense that God has taken me from darkness to light. Yeah, you know we I I, I you know, do all the the but that sense of 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 excitement like uh, when when you know when you first fall in love and, you know, everything is rosy in your eyes, where is that? And, but everything innate in me from the fatha, this is where the journey began for me. Many nights, I would spend He's talking to Allah and saying, I, I, I know it's there. The, 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 the bleeding, the dua, the tears. I know it's there. But I want to experience it like those people experiencing it. These people were not, for for a long time, all the great ones were not about going off to war or carrying a sword. But it transformed everything, their relationship with their loved ones, their relationship with their... Spouses, their relationships with their children, with their parents, it transformed everything. And Al Layl and Al Fajr are among the surah, I mean, the first 10 surah generally. But Layl al Fajr was shortly after Fat thats I, I remember that. Maybe Al maybe Alaq came into press before, and maybe Surah Al Samad. Um, so, as people who will go the line by, will hear the halakhas I gave on the line by, the, the classical, traditional tafsir, they'll see, you know, I go through, the reason it, it these short sword took so many halakhas, that I go through all the different reports, all the different, but when you are, the journey I'm talking about is that as you go through all these reports, and there is a kernel of truth that comes through as like a gift from Allah, put in your heart, you you, you finally see why, why the historical record has such a luminous core Despite all the accumulations of growth that often cover up that core and yeah and and then you 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 like when Part of what you seek is the the you why does Allah consistently from the very beginning at a time when it was the dispossessed and the weak who That, that, that message of saying what, you know, you build magnificent things, but you fundamentally, quintessentially, in its very core, you don't honor human beings, and you don't honor your God. And the inseparab- inseparability of the two, honoring God and honoring human beings—you can't have the one without the other—and that being drilled, and then when you go through the entire journey of, you know, your, the long road of of involvement, and you come back. And you say, this is why Allah consistently talked to Muslims in the entire journey in Medina, the way that Allah consistently talked to them. Literally not allowing for presumptuousness and arrogance and moral comfort to ever creep in. Even at the hardest and the toughest moments um yeah i mean uh, yeah you just the the more you you it's like again you know, and then you you're always telling yourself well, if my people only if my people knew Um, but, again, the Qur'an warns us about those who receive the covenant, as we'll see, inshallah, with Surah al-Ma'idah, those who receive the covenant, gov- covenant and uh, turned it into something completely different than what it, it's actually about.
0: Thank you so much. The, I mean, what you just shared with us is so so beautiful and i mean i think it's it is perfect for this night our you know fifth anniversary of usuli um because you know when you when you take us through like what you were feeling and what sparked in you i mean it became very clear to me as i was listening to you speak that what you have done is you've then gifted all of us that spark and also that excitement or the potential for it, at least, um, because I just you know like as it, most of us here have been with you here you know in this in this space, going through all of these surahs, you know from the beginning all the way to where we are now, um, and it's like you, you, you found it and then you gave it to all of us, and I like I, I'm always blown away by how obvious it is how much work goes into uncovering what you uncover you know in one surah like all the reports that you read all the different arguments and how it's such a gift to us because we we're out and we hear like oh you know this hadith thrown at us and that hadith thrown at us as a justification for something that doesn't feel right in our hearts and when we can come into this space and sit and you can say you know what all of the hadith that have to do with you know x are questionable and they should be you know i mean that like gives us liberation and you know i talked about in the past how it's like you have so many of these um shackles and you unshackle us like one you know one powerful bit of knowledge at a time and all of that unshackling then allows us to become lighter and lighter and more liberated and more empowered and more confident in our faith so it's such a gift um, and wow I mean you know we're almost through this journey and then to go back to where you started with Fajr and Lael and kind of lay that all out for us is really beautiful and um, truly such a gift so thank you so much thank you for this journey thank you Allah for allowing us to all be here and receive it and you know and may um, Maybe we'll be able to finish this and do much more, inshallah. But what an amazing legacy. Thank you so, so much. Alhamdulillah. Dhikr? Hmm? Is, uh, is there a particular dhikr for either of these? or no, it's just a the entire whole thing? It's okay, the entire source for both. Okay, so thank you, everyone, for being with us um, for this very special evening. Inshallah, we'll look forward to gathering again um, next week, inshallah. Insha'Allah. Is that right? Okay, yeah, it'll be the 17th. Um, and and we'll see what uh, what next week will bring, <laughs> whether it's more short surahs or if we start on the journey of surah al-Ma'idah. Inshallah. Insha'Allah. Have a wonderful week, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Salam alaikum. <laughs>